Welcome to T-Smack, home of the T-Smack. May I take your order? Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Talking Smack, where we talk superheroes, movies, animation, and comics. I'm your host, Josh Scar, and this week I have a couple of very special guests joining me. First, we will introduce uh, a, a guest co-host for this episode, Marty Stoked from the Panel to Panel podcast. Marty, thanks for joining. No problem. Happy to be here. Really excited for this opportunity, so appreciate you uh, asking me. Oh, definitely. Uh, I appreciate you coming on on such short notice. So uh, Matt, my usual co-host, is uh, potentially becoming a father as we record this episode. He he messaged me that his wife is showing signs of labor and he uh, has decided that that's more important, which I, I think that's the right call. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. Uh, so the reason I, I kind of... I, I don't want to say scrambled because uh, in the back of my head, I was always like, well, if, if Matt can't do this, I got to I got to get Marty. He's he's the guy for this sort of episode because we are joined by comic writer and Infernal Girl Red co-creator Matt Groom. Matt, how are you doing? Ah, I'm pretty good and I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for making the time. Uh, this is your second time on the podcast. Last time we spoke, it was for the Supermassive event, but this time you're riding solo. Mm-hmm. And you're here to talk about your book, Infernal Go Red. I really cannot wait to get into this, but feel free to let us know a little bit about yourself as well. Sure. Yeah. Uh, As you mentioned, I write comics. I have done a image series in the past called uh, Self Made, which I co-created with Eduardo Ferragato, who fans of the Massive Verse may be familiar with. I write a little bit for Marvel. I co-write the Ultraman series of miniseries with Kyle Higgins. Uh, that is The Rise of Ultraman, The Trials of Ultraman, and The Mystery of Ultra 7. And we have coming soon a Ultraman Marvel crossover, which means I'll get to write Spider-Man soon, which I'm pretty jazzed about. That's awesome. Uh, I've done a little bit of work for DC, and I did uh, a small run on the Power Rangers in Mighty Morphin for mm-hmm. Boom Studios. Yeah, I think that's it. Took over Power Rangers after Brian Parrott uh, finished after ep- uh, episode issue 100. And uh, yeah, we got the 30th anniversary coming up with uh, the Netflix special, which I'm excited for that. Me too. We're going to talk a lot more about Infernal Girl Red with Matt in just a moment. But first, we got to take our ad break and we're going to hear from Josh and Amanda Wilson from Super Familiar with the Wilsons. We will be right back. The Super Familiar with the Wilsons podcast. You know that family whose house you hung out in when you were a kid? The house was a little loud and chaotic, but always fun, and sometimes felt more home than home. Well, that's us. We're the Wilsons, and we welcome you into our podcast with silly chat, ridiculous games, and interviews with interesting people. Like a spin doctor. The super familiar with the Wilsons podcast. Welcome home. And we are back. I am once again joined by Marty Stoked from the Panel to Panel podcast. Marty, again, we are in the same chat room with Matt Groom, who is uh, a big head in the massive verse, which you and I are both very big fans of. And again, at the the moment Matt could not make it, I was like, Marty's got to be the guy to be here. Let's let's get into this. Uh, Matt, Infernal Girl Red was announced officially in the back pages of Radiant Black number one, and now it's it's going to have an issue on the shelves. So how did the process go from being a crowdfunded comic that's being released as a collection into a three-part series that's being published by Image? How did that come about? Yeah, it's an interesting one, actually, because a lot of this has been driven by our particular goal with this, which was to make a very accessible open to everyone, but progressive and modern superhero graphic novel. And we want it to be accessible to people who aren't familiar with comics and perhaps maybe this will even be their first comic. And with that, we wanted, we had two primary goals. One of them was that it reads like a novel, um, which often single issues that are collected into trade don't. And that's not 
a criticism of that at all. It's just, I think if you're writing singles correctly, they are whole stories in and of themselves, even if they sort of have a, a serialized nature to them. Uh, and I know when Eduardo and I were working on Self-Made, I loved that. I loved writing for those single issues to build to a trade, but I felt that if we did that for this, it would change the structure of it in a way that we didn't want. We really wanted it to be a graphic novel. And we also wanted to make sure that it was very easy to pick up and understand and read where it was just book one, book two, book three, and on and on. Um, no confusing like collection things to figure out. But in doing that, we realized we just wanted to make a, a graphic novel, but we also didn't want to sign the rights to it away to anybody. Um, and we knew we wanted to do an image because we love that aspect of image that we are totally in control, that we keep ownership of the property, that we get to make all of the decisions ourselves because we wanted to be able to push the medium as, as much as we could. Uh, but that meant that it, it's very hard to fund a book that way because you are missing out kind of on a revenue stream uh, that comes from doing these single issues. So we, we said, we'll do a graphic novel, but to fund it, we'll go to Kickstarter, raise the money that way, put the graphic novel out. And then as we did that, we were realizing as we're making the book that it wouldn't break into traditional single issues very well because it wasn't designed that way, but it did break into three relatively good chunks that felt like they had a beginning and middle and end themselves. And it, it, it was like, it's still a little like wobbly in the sense of it, it's not clean because it's the first issue is like 45 pages and then the next one is somewhere around 40 pages and the last one is over 35 I think so they're huge and not consistent number but we realized that we could still make something work in the direct market so we chose to do that as well uh, but it's not going to be an ongoing series and that's going to be month to month because uh, we know that that schedule doesn't work for us and it doesn't allow us to build graphic novels in the way that we want to but this allows us to still do something in the direct market with single issues, even if they're a little bit different, um, but keep the focus on these clean contained graphic novels that will drop periodically. That, that's really awesome that you're trying to break the, break the barrier with, with female superheroes. Cause that, that speaks highly in, in my book, just because I have two daughters, one who's heavily into comics now, just, just like me. And, and I think it's great to have, uh, a fresh take and she reads graphic novels all the time. So I think, you know, chunking it out in that way is, is super smart and it's like just the right length, a little bit smaller than a single issue that you can maybe sit through in, in two sittings. So uh, I really like that aspect. Can you talk a little bit about the inspiration of, of the character and kind of what you're trying to achieve with, we, we've all seen her face, right? And I think that that speaks volumes to diversity and and i think that's super huge to to hit in this day and age so can you talk talk a little bit about that yeah well when erica and i were creating this we wanted it to be i i think it, hopefully it's ex accessible and enjoyable to everybody but it does have a ya focus and we wanted it to feel like authentically a young person's story and because of that, we wanted it to be a story about facing the world through the lens of someone who's coming of age now. And as much as we have added a fantastical lens to it, it's the story about a very bright and talented young girl in Cassia who has a lot to contribute to the world, but because of circumstance, is it really in a good position to? And the world is crumbling around her and it feels like darkness is pressing in on all sides and it feels like there's no hope. And we wanted to tell a story about how you find the hope that you need to power you to change the world, even when it feels like there's no possible path forward. And it, in some ways, and we'll be getting into this even more as Cassie's story goes on, it's a story about how that sort of belief can be dangerous too if, if it becomes self-delusional. -del but um, especially at the start, it's about like igniting that spark of hope and figuring out how to find that hopeful path forward. And we think that's particularly important now because I feel like, you know, I'm not that old, but I feel like the, the generations below me even 
uh, have been dealt an even worse hand than myself. Um, and I feel like we all say, oh, like the young people will save us. Like they're so bright and smart and talented and they're going to change the world. But asking that of them while putting them in just the worst of circumstances is really terrible, I think. Um, so I think we wanted to make sure the book reckoned, reckoned with that and acknowledged that. Um, and yeah, as you pointed out, having a character from a more diverse background and having it um, have Cassia be a girl was really important to me. And that's why when I was looking for a creator, I was dead set on finding uh, a female artist. And I found the perfect one in Erica who has that incredible sense of what it means to be young and how how people who are young genuinely interact with each other. And as much as she handles the action in an amazing way, and it feels in some way, I think, unlike superhero comics we've seen before, she's also so masterful at that genuine raw emotion. And I'm very excited for people to see. I, I feel like a teen book that, you know, maybe there aren't a whole lot of teen books that feel genuinely like this. I would definitely agree with that. It, I got a lot of, uh, having funded the the Kickstarter, I got a digital copy in November and uh, I've read it a couple times now, which I, I think it's a lot of fun. And there is a little bit of like a, a Ms. Marvel kind of aspect to it where it has that genuine uh, teenage young adult authenticity to it. And uh, could you talk to the the partnership and the collaboration that you and Erica had to help create Cassia? Because um, in the, I don't know if this will be in the, the final trade or not the final trade, the, uh, the final book three of the, these three part releases that you're going to be doing um, for the public. Mm. Um, but at least in the Kickstarter edition, there's a whole bunch of concept art and there's different designs for Cassia <laughs> and like all those designs are, are super cool. I really like the one with the the red streak, but like it doesn't quite look like Cassia having read the book. And then you see yeah. you see the the finished or the the chosen design. And you're like, yeah, that's Cassia. So like, could you talk to like yeah. how you and Erica came to that idea? Yeah, it, it was interesting. It was very much just like long conversations between Erica and myself about the meaning of this story and who these people were. And then Erica just like iterating on different ideas. Uh, I, I found it very interesting, actually, the difference between the process of designing Cassia herself, the person versus the costume for Inferno Girl Red. Because with Cassia's design, I, Erica sent me, I think it was th- uh, three and maybe with some variations, different designs for Cassia. And they're all good, but there was one where I was just like, oh, that's Cassia. And it's not because of any particular thing. It just, it felt right. And talking to Erica about it, oh, she's like, she said, oh, I'm so glad you picked that one because that, I thought that was Cassia. I just thought I should give other options as well. But she said, I, I felt like I just like reached into the young consciousness and pulled Cassia out. But then with Infernoga Red, the costume, it was much harder because we didn't just want to do it typical superhero and we and we have uh, like we're trying to draw on some tokusatsu influence and erica in particular is very in- inspired by anime so we had all of these different elements that we liked and we wanted to feel like you know what should superheroes look like in the future like let's try and cast forward and do something that looks like this is where we're headed with superheroes rather than being regressive and it was just I don't even know how many versions, so many iterations and we're like slowly closing in like something like that, but not quite. And then down here, a little bit of that, but not quite. And bit by bit by bit, we built this thing up and it, it's interesting because I feel like the the final product is simple. It's not a complicated costume, but the process in getting all of those bits, right. was very complicated to get to that. What I think is an elegant simplicity. That's really interesting because when I saw the the designs for IGR, I was like, "Holy cow!" Like either Erica just went crazy and just made all of these designs, <laughs> and just like just had all of this inspiration for all these different designs, or yeah, it was a it was a big process, which is something that I I, I anticipated more to be more commonplace in comics because like when we spoke about Supermassive, I asked Ryan Parrott about rogue son and that design he's like oh i just wanted a flaming knight and the the guy nailed it and like okay but this one i was just like holy cow like (laughs) how many i know like they they had dragon girl red as the initial name and then it changed to infernal girl red Mm -hmm. but like this seems like a whole process that that probably took months on end or weeks on end at least to to refine 
Yeah, it took a while. Thankfully, we were able to work on other things in the meantime. Um, like we're still hammering out the script and different character designs. So it's not like Erica was just torturing herself for like a month. But it, yeah, I, I also don't want to take away from the fact that it was a phenomenal amount of work. And um, I think it just goes to show that sometimes you just get it, which is the, the case of Cassie's design in, in Rogue Sun with Abel. And sometimes you don't. And neither of those things are a sign of a mistake. It's just sometimes the process is just different. And if it happens to land perfectly the first time, that's amazing. And if it doesn't, you've just got to keep hammering at it until you figure it out. Um, but either way, you can still arrive at a, at a great conclusion. It just You just have to know what you're looking for, even if you can't quite define it. And I think uh, Erica's creativity and dedication particularly came in, in beneficial there. So I'll, I'll say one thing with the character designs, because I showed my daughter pictures when I was trying to explain like why I was jumping on this podcast last minute and who I was going to talk to. And <laughs> the first thing that she told me was that the picture of, of Cassia with the, like with the NASA t-shirt reminded her of Moon Girl. So Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur is like one of our favorite comics yeah. that we read together. And she's like, and she's super smart, little eight year old. She's like, she kind of looks like she's smart and yep. she knows what she's doing, but she looks like she's like, like badass because she's like looking over to the side and stuff oh, like that. And yeah. I was like, yep. And we're probably going to read it together. I hope it's like kid friendly, but I'm in, I need to read it first. Cause uh, you know, being the, yes, I, I absolutely support you reading it first, but I, I, I think you, you'll find it all good. We definitely like there. It, it is violent, but not, gory um and we wanted to make it something that girls in particular could pick up and and read and enjoy with family and hopefully find some inspiration in so yeah hopefully she did yeah she and then she the other thing that that i noticed with some of the character designs was was the griffin i really i really dig the griffin it kind of reminded me kind of gave me Mm -hmm. harry potter-ish vibes a little bit um which you know something that i i really liked as a kid so I just just love the con- the concept art it was it was it was incredible. Yeah, uh, the the Griffin design is another one that came quite fast, and it it's just so cool. Especially like it, it it's a was a favorite for artists for covers, um, and like the prints that we did for Kickstarter, there was a few artists I sort of said like I just do whatever you want, like here's everything, have a look through, and. Uh, I think it was Tiffany Terrell in particular came back. She's like, oh, I love the Griffin design. Can I do something creepy with that? And I was like, yes, you can. <laughs> Absolutely, you can. Um, so, yeah, it's it's very cool. And I'm excited for people to meet uh, the Griffin because I think, you know, it's in superheroes, you've got to have a villain that's as cool and intimidating and and powerful as your hero to sort of like balance that out. And I mean, I don't think this is too spoilery to say it. One of the benefits of this, of this strange format that we have is you can really take your time with stuff. And in uh, what'll be the third part in comic book stores, we have a fight scene that I think is 18 pages long thereabouts, which in traditional comics would just be a whole issue of a comic. Right. But here we're like, let's take the time. Let's have a very cool fight scene. Um, And I think Inferno Gored versus the Griffin is the real like, it shows off what Erica and Igor can do in a really cool showcase way. So yeah, I'm excited for people to see, see those two come to blows. Speaking of that final fight, uh, credit to you, Erica and your team for the ending of that fight. Uh, my, my, my room got a little dusty and like there, there was like something in my eye and I, I I don't know what was (laughs) happening, but, uh, it like just water started pouring down my face as it was weird. I don't know what happened, but Good. mission accomplished. <laughs> it was it was a very very great ending to that scene, and uh, I, I'm Thank I'm you. very excited for what that could lead into. I want to go back a little bit to the diversity because again, I'm I'm a girl dad as well, and uh, I also have relatives who are uh, people of color. They I, I have a very mixed family, so I'm not going to go too deep into it. Mm. But um, one thing that obviously stands out with Cassia is that she has vitiligo. Could you talk to what was the inspiration to bringing that into the character as well? Obviously, it's just it's it's a a surface level thing, but it it can ring so heavy with people who have vitiligo, and the, the representation of that is just so cool. Yeah, well, that's something that's actually all credit to uh, Erica. That wasn't in the script at all. It was just part of um, 
the character design that Erica did for Cassia. Uh, but I think one of the brilliant parts in it is it's never like talked to in in the dialogue. I never wanted to make it a, you know, there's a big scene where she talks about it. Um, but I think Cassia is someone who in life has, has been put on the back foot for a bunch of reasons and has been treated kind of unfairly. And there are some pretty significant reasons for that that you'll learn as you get into the story. But I think that's just another small way that you know, Cassie's been dealing with something that other people don't have to deal with. And, you know, it's right on her face. Like, she can't get away from it. And I think, unfortunately, you can understand that most people in the world that experience that, they probably wouldn't have the um, the most ideal, ideal childhoods in some way. Like, to greater and lesser extents, it probably is difficult for them in some ways. And I think it was just another way in which you understand that, like, Cassier isn't someone with a lot of natural advantages. But to me, that makes her sort of being brave and standing up and becoming something of an icon for people to believe in all the more powerful. I'm just so stoked for all the covers that that you guys have. And we were talking about this a little bit before we started with my massive verse wall and being able to display those things. Uh, <laughs> Josh, before you hopped on, I was telling him, oh, definitely getting a whole bunch of them and completing the completing the collection for 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 some aspects. But just the cover game and the massive verse in general is just it's just bar none. It's it's so ridiculously good and the creative team that you guys have assembled and that you know Kyle works with and you know Rogue Son and and, and the Dead Lucky is just bar none. It just lights out which which is something that's great and the best part about it is like you said it's create your it's creator own so you guys own it and anybody can jump into it which for me anyone. like my big shtick is being a newer reader into comics which i thought you know i always had a hard time figuring out where to jump in and these type of books just just lead into that and then especially with this one with you know the young kid aspect uh this one this one hits home two ways for me so i'm just i'm just super stoked to uh, to be be a part of it um, once it releases yeah. and and read through it, so you know, kudos to you guys for sure. Thank you. Uh, a lot of credit for that goes to Michael Basudel, who's our editor on a lot of the Massive Verse books, um, and has really taken point. He does the design uh, for a lot of the books. He didn't do the lead design on Inferno Got Red, but has on Radiant Black, Rogue Sun, Dead Lucky, uh, and he's also the editor. And not exclusively, but largely is the one making cover decisions about artists. And because I recently quit my day job, but when I was doing that, I was working at a creative agency with a lot of designers, some world-class designers. And Michael comes from that same background. And I know it's very important to both of us that comics look as good as they possibly can and do that trying to sort of get it like away from the bounds of what's come before. So not like, it's not just good in the way that like, Oh, it reminds me of what it was in the eighties. It looks very modern and very fresh and very bold. Uh, and yeah, I credit Michael a lot with how across the massive verse, everything feels so sharp uh, because that's massively important to me. And he's the one that makes sure that, that we seemingly don't miss a trick in that department. It's just, everything's, everything's clean. Yeah. He's incredible on the disc in the discord server too, answering all of our questions. And I remember, I think he either he posted or you posted about quitting, quitting your full-time job. And this is one question I did have for you because it's always interesting to see like where people come from. Cause I think, um, what was it? Igor was a software engineer or, or a mechanical engineer or something like that. Cause when he was po talking in the radiant black discord, but like how, how did that come about with you knowing you wanted to get into comics full-time and then just just taking the leap of faith and, and quitting your job. And, and what did you do before that, that kind of led you into this path? Cause I mean, you're pretty well established at this point. I mean, you've written for the big two, you've, you've put out a create your own, you know, in self-made and, and now you, you have this book, but like, how, how did that whole process work for you? Well, I was working at a, a creative and brand agency here in Australia, um, called for the people at, it's an independent studio, but, a, uh, despite us being a small group, we were, uh, very well recognized. Uh, and I was a writer there, uh, head of storytelling was actually my job title prior to me quitting. 
And part of that was me, in a lot of ways, self-teaching myself a lot of storytelling principles that came to underpin my work when I started moving into comics. Uh, But it's been five or six years now since I really started, like, trying to push my way into comics. And self-made was the start of it, but I think most people who work in comics will tell you it's there's not a lot of money in it, particularly at the start. And it, even now, like it is a leap of faith. Like it's, it's unclear to me if I'll be able to sustain this necessarily, but uh, I was working, I was part-time at my job, my day job last year doing either three or four days a week, but every other day I was doing comic stuff and often the evenings on the other days. So I was working seven days a week, 12 hours a day minimum usually and it just got to the point where I was like unable to sustain that for my health so uh, if anything this was a like I'm just gonna have to try and like dedicate myself to comics and if this works it works if it doesn't it doesn't but either way I need to find out now but it's it is a difficult industry to find your footing in and I've been tremendously supported by uh, people like Kyle and Michael helping me in, in various ways and it's only due to that that I've been able to make the steps that I have made so far. Uh, but I think because of that nature of the industry, comics is a place where you, you just have to love it. Like you're not coming here to make big money. That may happen to two or three people, maybe maximum, <laughs> but everybody else could be making a lot more money elsewhere probably, but is here because they love telling stories. And that's certainly the case with me. I just... I love comics specifically. I love what the medium lets you to do. And I love collaborating with people and getting to know Eduardo making self-made and creating that together is one of my favorite experiences of my entire life. And that's true now with uh, Infernigo Red, with Erica and Igor. Um, They're just so crazy passionate. And I'm very glad to be able to sort of help them um, have a platform to create their own thing rather than again like all due respect to marvel like i work with marvel i think it's like everyone i've worked with there is great i'm glad to be able to work there i know those guys are as well but there's something special about being able to do something that is yours and having no direction other than just do what you think is best and i think that's always going to get the best possible work out of people and that's why i love image so much and that's why i'm so glad to be able to do this here even if it's unclear whether or not it'll be uh, (laughs) the thing that will sustain me long term i think that's one thing that uh really makes image and especially within image now the the massive verse pop is and stand out because kyle has helped i'm i'm guessing there there's obviously a big collaboration with uh michael and everyone else that he's he's brought in but like it seemed like within six months he he was just like hey we have a universe. It's not just Radiant Black standing alone in this comic series that I'm writing, but other people are in this universe. But it, you guys do such a great job of making everything stand alone. Like, yes, they're they're technically connected, but they stand alone just as well as if they never even met. And uh, could you talk yeah. a little bit about how either Kyle approached you to say, hey, do you have any ideas for me for this universe that we're creating or... Um, did you approach him? How did that come to be where you brought IGR into the massive verse? Well, Kyle and I have known each other for a long time. Kyle's actually the reason I got into comics in the first place, because I do a, a Power Rangers podcast with Michael, actually. And we started interviewing Kyle for that. Um, this must have been seven years ago, something. Would have been like 2014 or 2015. Cause I, I actually just is 2015. Cause I had my Facebook memories pop up where I, I got the, uh, the white Ranger, like the full collection of the, uh, Monty, uh, helmet variants. Mm, the hel- helmet covers. Yeah. So yeah, it was a long time ago <clears throat> that Michael and I met Kyle. Um, and we just became friends and we, we would chat through stuff. And because of the storytelling work I did at the agency, we'd talk about story a lot. And at a certain point he was just like, Oh, have you ever thought about writing comics? And I said, that's all I've ever wanted, but I didn't want to be that friend who bugs their comic friend for a job. Um, so he helped me set up self-made at image. Obviously we've worked on Ultraman together for a few years now. So we have a pretty close, um, relationship anyway. And it's interesting, like the timeline 
won't make it seem this way because of how long it took Inferno Go Red to come together. But Radiant Black and Inferno Go Red were developing simultaneously. Um, it was about the same time that we were both working on them. And it, it wasn't originally intended to be uh, the same thing at all. We were just working on our projects. Uh, and at a certain point, we, we'd talk to each other, we'd show each other stuff because that's just, you know, we have that relationship as creators. Um, we were like, you know, we could make this a thing together. And as you pointed out, they're, they're very self-contained if you want them to be. Like you can read Inferno Go Red, just Inferno Go Red, and you won't be confused. You won't miss anything. Did already in black, but we do have our super massive crossovers that add a little bit to each, but also are kind of a self-contained way of seeing these characters interact. Um, and we chatted to Michael a little bit about bringing him in and sort of coordinating this. And we all sort of agreed that if we could manage that, if they could still be their own book and be, have their own identity, then yeah, that'd be something really cool to do. And I know Ryan Parrott was the same. He was uh, very early on in those discussions, but was developing his own thing. Um, and we just realized like, well, we all know each other. We all like each other. We all have similar sensibilities and we feel like there's a chance to do a shared creator own superhero universe in a way that hasn't really happened since the original image founders tried it almost like a quarter of a century ago. And like, there is of course like invincible has its own universe. Spawn has its own universe, but that's kind of like led by one person in a lot of ways. Whereas the idea behind this was much more, we're all in charge of our own books, but they can all like play in the same uh, area together. And wouldn't it be fun if they got to share these little things? So yeah, it's, it's been interesting. Um, it has been a little unfortunate that for various reasons in front of go red to sort of like <laughs> come, a, come a little later down uh, the path. But uh, what that did mean is that she got to debut on Supermassive and show up at, uh, a little early, which I found um, delightful and a nice way to sort of give the world a taste of Cassia before she actually hits doors. I mean, I'll say this, it allowed the hype train to seriously ramp up because everybody in the Discord server is floored and through the roof um, on the Radiant Black Pod Discord server. Like we were talking about it all the time about you know what's going to happen. We're super, like, this is probably one of the most anticipated ones uh, coming up of the Massiverse just because it's been so long and just the anticipation is so mm -hmm. high, which is, you know, huge for you guys. And we're all stoked for all the variants and stuff like that that are coming out. And, and I mean, what Kyle is building with, you know, black market narrative and, and this whole super massive team, it, it almost feels like a mini Marvel or a DC. Like you have your own quote unquote bat family, even though it's like, it's the Massiverse family, you know, or, or however you guys want to really? coin it. And, and I think it's something really special to have, to be able to have the, you know, the creative teams come together and you guys have the cohesion, especially working across the world. Like, I mean, you're in Australia and Mike, Michael mm. is uh, Australia as well, I think. Right. Or, and, and then mm -hmm. you have is, yeah. Kyle and, and folks over in the U S so, so, I mean, just that in general. Um, and I know, Michael doesn't sleep because some of his tweets are ridiculous. <laughs> you know, like his first New Year's Definitely tweet, I've already, it's what I am and I've already sent four work emails. And I mean, I mean, man, that guy, that guy is incredible. Like he just takes to, power to, naps. I don't know what he does, but guy, you know, he's insane um, in a good, in a great way. He's a machine. Yeah. And I think like one of the things about us not being Marvel is that we get to make our own decisions about these things. Like with Supermassive, for example, we did the first one and we loved it. We all had a good time. But when we were asked, like, is there going to be another one? We said, we're not sure if we feel like it. And we meant it. We don't have to do anything. There's no publisher giving us a schedule and saying, you need to do this and this. We are doing another one in a couple of months because we had a great idea for it. And we realized we could do something that we, that would surprise people and be new. And for that reason, like, okay, yeah, let's do another one. But if we can't do that again after that, we, we won't do another one because we never want to put out a bad comic, you know? And maybe next time it's a different format. Maybe it's something else entirely. Maybe it's not a super massive. Who knows? Uh, we have total freedom. And what that means is we can do anything and, and truly surprise readers. And I suspect that's one of the things that people value is you can't predict what's coming next because there's there's no... Like in a lot of ways, to, to, to our detriment, perhaps sometimes, 
we're not really being driven by financials. Uh, we're not being driven by corporate need. We're just being driven by what would be the coolest comics. And everyone has to guess what that will be as we barrel towards it. Do you have a number of issues in mind? I mean, you have this first 100-page graphic novel. Is there a next you know, next storyline that you're already working on or, or another, are you going to go smaller trades or what's your thought for the future after we get through with this first novel of, of Inferno Girl Red and after, you know, obviously Inferno Girl Red is a part of the Supermassive 2, which comes out, you know, I think in March. Um, what's, what's next for Cassie? Yeah, calling these uh, collections book one implies that there will be a book two. So, you know, Inquisitive minds want to know. Doesn't it just? (laughs) Uh, Well, what I will say to that is that we are still exploring different things in terms of how it might all happen and come to the world. But also, if I grabbed my webcam and tilted it a little bit that way, you'd see a big whiteboard that is filled with system cards that have all of the scenes for Inferno Go Red Book 2 on them. So... uh, it's in development, I will say. Woohoo. Um, I had a big yes. day with Michael a couple of days ago. We sat down and we just chatted through it all. And he seemed to be pretty into it. And he can sometimes he can be a tough nut to crack. So I think it's going to be pretty cool. Not to interrupt, but if this is one of the few interviews you're doing where you're confirming a book too, anyone who has is listening to this and decides to make it a big uh, clickbait article, you have to credit talking smack superheroes movies animation and comics (laughs) as as where that you heard that otherwise we're coming after you i will also say just to sort of like um caveat yeah measure that caveat it slightly that i will confirm i'm working on it i i can't confirm that it will be released. well the clickbait's already happened so (laughs) (laughs) it's right it's gone it's like the articles are published no (laughs) the horse is bolted um i say that just because like who knows how this will go? You know, like we don't know how it will be received. I think it's great personally, but um, it has to do well for us to be able to afford more. Um, so nothing is promised, but it's absolutely our wanted intention. I think if it's another Kickstarter event, you're, I think you'll hit your goal probably within a couple hours, if not even the first hour. Yep. I'm definitely jumping <laughs> on it this time. <laughs> I missed the boat. I appreciate that. Thank you. So uh, I do want to get into some of the other characters in the in the book, but one other question going back to Supermassive that I had is that clearly mm. we have a Cassia who has been IGR for a while now because there are hints mm. towards other things that have happened. So what? Obviously, we needed an origin story. Either you're going to do a backdoor origin or you're going to just tell a straight up origin story. So what was the idea behind setting up all of these little stepping stones that? Are, are you going to try and hit those or are you going to pull like a young justice and be like, we'll give you context clues as we tell another story that we feel is better suited for readers. So Cassia appearing how and when she did in Supermassive was kind of a function of us really trying to keep true to our mandate of we want Supermassive to be an enjoyable reading if you don't read any of the books, but we also want to make sure that you don't have to read Supermassive to understand the respective books and to make all of that work, but have her Cassia in it, despite her book not being out, it had to be set a little further into the, into her future. Having said that, it all fits together. So Supermassive was a glimpse into Cassia's future relative to book one, but that is where Cassia is headed. And I think by the end of book one in particular, you may have a pretty informed guess as to how she ends up in that first supermassive, why she might be out there in the multiverse searching for something. So we have multiverse confirmed. So that's another clickbaity thing. Josh <laughs> looks like we can confirm that there is a multiverse in the massive verse. We all had our suspicions. I think we had that confirmed back when we were talking about supermassive, because among other things, yeah, she's flying through chasing uh, the, the villain of supermassive. So Yes, uh, because we know that there aren't any Waffle Houses in, in Cassia's home. Either. Oh, yeah, that's one question I had is who came up with the <laughs> Waffle House joke? I can't remember, to be honest. Um, it might have been Ryan Parrot, but I can't say that with certainty, unfortunately. There was a lot of banter as we were writing <laughs> that, that 
uh, issue and, and lines flying around. But um, yeah, my guess would be Ryan Parrott, but I, yeah, I'm not 100%. Sure. I think that maybe why they had, why Cassia's universe has an apex city is because her universe went no Waffle House. That no, we don't need that. <laughs> I've never actually been to a Waffle House, so I can't speak with authority either way. <laughs> I can tell you every video you have seen of a Waffle House, that is how every Waffle House looks. Interesting. I, I drove around the American Southeast for the first time uh, for my new job this last fall, and every Waffle House I passed, I'm like, God, that place looks like it's just disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael and I went to a... Oh, I'm sure... What what place does pancakes? I hop a, a big pancake. I hop. Michael and I went to an IHOP and we were horrified at just the volume of food they bring to you at that place. <laughs> yes. Welcome to America. And it wasn't good. <laughs> it was just on like plate after plate after plate. We felt like we had a cultural experience that we we don't intend on recreating anytime soon. If you ever back in Lockport for uh, a Kyle Higgins something travel a little further west into Rockford and find the Stockholm Inn. If you want portions, the Stockholm Inn will not disappoint you. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. I don't know if I can hack it. We have what I would consider to be regular sized portions down here in Australia. I'm just not built for that, for the American volume. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's get back into the, this, uh, Infernal Girl Red, book one. Again, I, I, I don't want to keep bragging that I, I funded the Kickstarter, so I've read the whole thing. I, I don't want to spoil anything too far into <laughs> to what book two, issue two, and issue three, or book three will will entail. But one thing that really connected with me, even, even though I'm not a woman, was the relationship between Cassia and her mom. Do you, in your head, is it pronounced Anna or Anna? Because it's A-N-A. So like I've, I've known people who go by both. I, I've been going with Anna, but I... I don't, yeah, you, whatever whatever you like, basically, is, is my position at this point. Uh, so her mom, Anna, is very a very Lois Lane type, maybe even a little Jimmy Olsen. She's she's a determined reporter and just she's she's very enthusiastic as well. And it, you, she's mm -hmm. just a, a bright light in Cassia's life. And I, I just loved their relationship where Cassia is full of uncertainty and nerves and her mom's just like, you got this. You're gonna you're gonna crush it. And her mom's just this great supportive character. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how creating her and finding her voice uh, came about? Well, it was very important to me that I, I knew we wanted to have this relationship between Cassier and and Anna, but I didn't want to go down any well trodden familiar territory. I didn't want it to be an adversarial relationship. I didn't want it to be a like. The parent is controlling and the, the like the daughter is trying to like get out from underneath her. Uh, I also didn't want to be, didn't want to do the whole like secret identity, constantly trying to like keep secrets, even though, you know, this person loves you. But what I still wanted them to have some friction between them because, you know, storytelling, conflicts, drama, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but to come from a place where they could still love each other totally and support each other totally and that friction does come from the fact that Cassia is a little bit more suspicious and doesn't have that same level of belief. Whereas you're right, Anna is absolutely optimistic, boundless enthusiasm, uh, but also in some ways to a fault uh, to the point where it can get her into trouble. Um, so neither of them is right and they both have things they can learn from each other but they're able to have hold these two very different perspectives while still having this uh, completely uncompromised love for each other. Like they are each other's most important person in the world and they love and support each other. And that's never going to change. Um, so I was very happy to be able to find a dynamic where they could have, they could be different in ways that help drive the story and help provide different perspectives, but they're still just a loving mother daughter relationship that is at the core of the book um and i'm glad that's resonating with people i just can't wait to read that because that from that just <laughs> resonates with me being you know again a dad of, of two girls and to try to find ways of being supportive but not overbearing and not kind of almost smothering in a sense to make to make them feel like 
loved and supported in in ways. I mean, my my oldest is is going through starting to do sports and stuff like that. So that's really, you know, this makes me even more excited to definitely read this with her and just so she can see that relationship herself because pa- parents in general they play a wicked important role in their their kids upbringing and you know the slightest thing that you do wrong can be detrimental at times it's crazy so i'm just hearing that josh uh you know josh's question and and your answer makes me even more uh stoked to read the book well i'm very curious what you think about it so you'll have to let me know once you you've had a read absolutely talking about sports there is a a very unique sport that was created for this book uh it's probably a little bit of a spoiler for book two but I, <laughs> I wouldn't call it a spoiler. I, I want to thank you for knowing what was going on in my brain when I when I heard hold ball. And then as I finished the book and yeah. I started going through all the extra stuff and there was a literal diagram with rules and a layout of the court telling oh, me nice. how this game is played. So yep. thank you for that. And can you please tell me how you came up with the idea of hold ball? Yeah, Um I'm an idiot, I guess is the short version. <laughs> uh, the the long version is in the outline, there was a scene at a sports field. Easy, simple, not a lot of hard work. But then I had the thought like, we can do whatever we want here. This is another universe, a cool, slightly futuristic city. What if it's a different sort of sport? What if we just created our own sport? And I was like, well, we can't just like, say a name and then do some stuff in the background despite the fact that we absolutely could have done that because the way the game is played is immaterial to the story it doesn't impact anything but i was just like well if i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this so i created a sport uh (laughs) that is quite complicated has a lot of moving parts and i was like wow i'm gonna have to like to explain this i need like a diagram so i have no experience with 3d modeling and downloaded a few 3d modeling programs realized that I'm definitely unable to use those (laughs) and eventually found something I could manage, which is basically like CAD for babies. It might even be called that, Uh, but it's like the children's version of CAD. And in that I managed over like a day to scrap together a diagram of the court and then annotated it in the rules and stuff. And I chucked that all in the back matter of the hardcover. So uh, yeah, it's our, our unique sport, whole ball. I think it's cool, but it's probably not the most productive <laughs> of places to poured my energy into for those couple of days. But I'm glad you found some joy in it. So does that mean when we all do another get together, we can play some hold ball? You're going to bring those balls or whatever, <laughs> whatever is needed to uh, to do it. And, and the creative team versus uh, all the super massive uh, fans. <laughs> we might need to go to a court, though, because that court is complicated. Yeah. <laughs> when do you find out what is required to play hold ball? Uh, your appetite may change. But if we could somehow pull that together and navigate like the laws in a way that would allow us to do that, then yeah. Everyone signs a waiver, it's fine. Yeah, there'd be a lot of paperwork involved, but it'd be great. The court layout reminded me of like American Gladiators meets Wipeout meets American Ninja Warriors. Mm -hmm. It's just insane. And like the rules and uh, yeah, I I really want to see someone try to create hold ball and play a game. That, That would be amazing. I'm so curious if this comes together too, because I wanted to make it work. Um, You know, like in some ways I don't, I was about to say, I don't want to criticize Harry Potter, but I'm fine with that actually now. Like everyone thinks, well thought Quidditch was cool, but if you look at the rules and think about how that game is played, that doesn't hold Mm -hmm. together. This thing where like there's one person on each team that gets the magic small ball. And if they do that, the team wins regardless. And, the other players are basically irrelevant. doesn't make for a very well-balanced sport. Um, so I was trying to like really put some thought into like, how do we make this all balanced and workable and something that maybe could actually be played. And I'm sure it, there's some major flaw that I haven't conceived of because again, I tried to invent a sport in like two days, but uh, yeah, I'm, I am hopeful that it holds together in some way. 
Wow, this uh, this court's incredible. I I, just opened, <laughs> I had to open up the PDF. I had to. It's at the bottom. Zip lines. Oh man, dude, I'm totally in. This is so sick. Like I said, uh-huh. Amer- Amer- uh, American Gladiators. Uh, like oh. I, I'm sure I'm surprised you didn't have like the hand bike or whatever that's called. <laughs> well, there is a bowling wall that's involved true. and uh, some foam pits. Uh, yeah, all sorts of stuff. that's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Thank you. So besides Cassia and maybe her mom, uh, we'll just say besides Cassia, who is your favorite character in IGR? I mean, it's hard to go past a fun villain. And writing the Griffin is very enjoyable. Because in a story where everybody else has doubts and is trying to find their place in the world or is held back by something. The Griffin is a guy who knows what his deal is, is very confident in achieving it and has no time for anybody else. So to be able to write that character that sort of just comes in like a knife and cuts through everything else is very enjoyable. So for book one, I think like my favorite character in terms of who I have affection for outside of Cassia is probably harriet um cassia's friend or anna but in terms of those fun for me to write when it comes down to like working on a page it's the griffin that 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 dialogue just like (laughs) comes out in a way that's probably like unhealthily easily it's a venting exercise that's all it is Uh, yeah maybe (laughs) one thing that uh, i'm most looking forward to and i don't know because i haven't read it yet and Josh keeps bragging that he has, so I'm super jealous. <laughs> humble brags. It's, it's humble, humble brags. <laughs> but pseudo spoiler for Supermassive, right? We get that one page where it's got the three different colors kind of into the future of what's perceived as multiple Infernal Girl reds of different colors, kind of Power Rangery, kind of Radiant black E, And... That's kind of one of the things that I'm most excited to see how that all comes about in the book. And is it her friends? Because, you know, you, you have a, a concept art of, of the group of friends. And I can totally see like it, this being pseudo Shazam family esque, where she's somewhat sharing her powers in some way, shape or form with however she got them that we're going to learn about. But without going, I guess, into too much details, where did you draw the influences of that aspect of the comic i think all of our books are tokusatsu inspired in some way um and i think that comes from yeah all all four of us in myself kyle ryan and melissa have written for power rangers in comics and i think through that to great and lesser extent we've all found ourselves exploring tokusatsu and um like kyle and i spend some time together actually getting into Kamen Rider a bit, um, which I found amazing. I've watched some Sentai, um, obviously working on Ultraman, you know, had to get into that. And I love the way that Toku handles that stuff. And it's not the only way that Toku has influenced this book. Um, There are a few things. But what I also liked is I think we're probably taking an approach trying to navigate this carefully taking an approach closer to Carmen Rider in that we have a main character and they're our focus but sure at some point some other people may acquire powers if that works for the story and if it's complementary to how that's all going to work together having said that you know Supermassive is set in the future relative to Inferno Go Red book one and that appeared to be at least a vision of the future then. So like we wanted to have a, a very quick peek down the path, but at the moment we're focused on, on Cassia and perhaps things will grow out from there. I, I just love that concept of, of how the power Rangers and Tokusatsu. And I, I don't know, it's just one of the things that I really love about it. So I'm super stoked to see what happens. The, la- the second to last question I have for you Matt is um, I don't think it's a spoiler because we, we get this flashback from Anna early on in the comic where she's telling a story about infernal girl red and 
she she used to kind of again be more like a Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen kind of person with a previous incarnation of Infernal Girl Red. What made you want to make that a legacy character instead of just the the world needs a hero and here's some technology that has just fallen onto Cassia? I'm going to keep some of that answer close to the chest, but part of it was that this book in a lot of ways is about finding a place in the world um, with circumstances that are dire and having Inferno go red be a legacy meant that there was a choice for Cassia to step into or not step into, but also if she does step into it, how she does it is her choice as well. Like how she walks down that path, but in her own way is going to be one of the sort of driving things of the book. And it, and it allowed that to have a, there being something of a precedent for what these heroes were, but it meant that Cassia could put her own spin on it. And the other thing is that I love stories where it doesn't feel like the world popped into existence on the page before page one, you know, uh, this is a story where a lot of stuff has already happened. This world is moving and it has its own history and that history is going to impact the future as it does in our world. So I, I like the idea and we, you know, Kyle and I did this when we were building out our unique Marvel Ultra universe as well, building out the history of this universe and figuring out what the past was like and how that might impact the future was part of it. Um, but you'll have a better sense of that history as time moves forward. He says, speaking in the Vegas. <laughs> okay. Well, we we've kept you for about an hour. So I, I have one final question for you. And it's a question we, we have started asking all of our guests and one Ooh. of our, one of our segments that we do, and it's one of our most popular sh- episodes that we do. Um, it's called what you doing. It's something we, it's an episode where we just, talk about the nerdy stuff we're doing in life away from work, podcasting, whatever. And so my final question to you is Matt groom, what you doing? Well, you know, I mentioned that I quit my job recently and I got some free time. And one of the things, well, two things I've discovered that I love. First one is weekends. Weekends are great. (laughs) Uh, I do recommend everyone should try weekends. Um, But I've also been able to, pick up a hobby this obviously won't help the audio listeners but i am pulling over uh Ooh. i've gotten into gunpla oh, nice. like very recent which gundam is that and this is like babies this is the destiny gundam um the high grade and i have just like fallen head over heels into gundam it's still early days but i have like Six boxes beside me waiting to be built. Wow. Um, I've got some paints on the way. I'm going all in uh, somehow. I it just, I think it was just like having something to do with my hands that felt down to earth and connective has been really good. And then at the end, you have like a sick robot, which is extreme. Um, so yeah, Gunpla, I get, I don't know, maybe, maybe it'll pass and I'll be done with it. But at the moment I'm, I'm all in. Marty, actually, also, you can participate in this as a guest. Uh, what you doing? Oh, God, you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> um, well, I, I will say it's starting to get cold out. This is kind of not not so nerdy, but we're, uh, we're starting to do a lot of skiing and snowboarding and teaching uh, my two-year-old how to snow ski. My eight-year-old already skis. I love that. So, yeah. Um, it's, it's been fun. Long, long days at the mountain, but uh, it's, it's definitely a lot of fun. It's exhausting, right? Yeah. Like, I don't think people appreciate how hard work skiing is until you've done it a little bit. I'll tell you this. I was I was a firm believer in no bag, just going with all your stuff and be fine. Once you have kids, uh, like <laughs> this past weekend, I was like, everyone's getting bags because I don't know where anybody's stuff is and I can't deal <laughs> with it anymore. <laughs> so, yep. yeah, it's crazy how much your mind shifts once you start to uh, pack for one day of skiing when it feels like you're taking a week-long trip. It's unbelievable. Absolutely. Good on you, though, for taking the kids so young. Because, like, they, they can pick it up so fast. I, it's been a long time since I've been skiing, unfortunately. But they, here in Australia, we have, I'm not sure if it's American brand, we have this thing called Milo, which is like a chocolate mix in drink. And Milo sponsors the, like, 
the youngest ski class uh, at the the ski slope. And they're usually like three or four year old kids in these green Milo vests that are just shooting down the like the most intense runs. And it makes everyone feel terrible because we're all being out skied by these like <laughs> tiny, tiny children who are completely fearless and just like rocketing down the mountain. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible how fast they pick it up. Um, and it's yeah. it's it's good to get them exposed to stuff like that at an early age because then they can just they can just go. It also is helpful that like my wife was on uh, a downhill ski team for college, so she was pretty adamant oh, wow. with with my kids. Like Santa Claus brought skis at one and a half, <laughs> uh, so we we've been we've been pretty yeah pretty into it pretty hard, but it's been fun. I mean, I don't ski, I, I snowboard, that. but it's still it's still a good time. Absolutely. Ah, now I want to go see <laughs> Hey, it's a new Bad hobby. You got time. You got time, right? <laughs> That's true. And, and Who knows what I'll take? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, New Zealand's kind of close. And I, th- I think, aren't you supposed to be able to ski and snowboard in the same day in New Zealand? Or maybe that's, in, maybe that's somewhere else. I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking. I'm not sure. Maybe I'm thinking of something it, else. It is. Yeah, it's not too far away. Unfortunately, it is summer here. Oh, yeah. So bad time for skiing. But winter's not too far away we'll get that. well I'll, I'll give you one more just because i teach scuba diving and not very many people know that but shameless plug learn how to scuba dive because i dove the great barrier reef which was it was okay um wasn't as colorful <laughs> but regardless you have you have a long summer and it's it's a great sport to pick up and you know it's it's very tranquil and relaxing and gets your mind kind of at ease maybe in a creative way to write some more inferno girl red for us that's interesting I've done a little bit of um, like just snorkeling, but yeah. scuba diving is awesome. It's 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 the most incredible experience uh, to be able to breathe underwater. We could talk more offline about that if you if you ever <laughs> want to pick my brain, uh, f- feel free. Uh, more than happy to answer Absolutely, any questions. Yeah. I've been doing it for I'm a not, long time. I might take you up on that. That sounds good. And if, if living in Australia and not having a good enough relationship with the ocean feels like a waste. So cool. All right. Well, Matt, we've kept you long enough, I think. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us and answer our questions about Infernal Girl Red. And feel free to plug your Twitter and any projects besides, along with Infernal Girl Red that you may have coming up. Yeah. Well, I'm at Twitter, Matthew Groom, all one word, only one T in Matthew. Uh, Projects coming up. Well, we have that Ultraman Marvel Universe crossover coming out sometime this year. I think uh, I don't think I can talk about anything else, but there is one big other thing in particular. There are, there are a few things, but one big thing that I can't wait to announce that will in some ways be the most ambitious thing I've ever done in comics. Oh man. So talk about oh, clickbait. Oh, leave that one hanging. <laughs> That's the worst. <laughs> yeah. You'll find out about that at some point. <laughs> Well, hopefully we'll get to talk again when we talk Supermassive 2023. Uh, if you guys do the podcasting Absolutely. rounds again, I will definitely be throwing our hat in the in the ring there, or our, our name in the hat. Would love that. That's the proper term of phrase. <laughs> uh, Marty, feel free to, to share great. your your podcast and your socials again. Yeah, sure. So we're uh, panel at panel the panel pod on Twitter, and um, I'm at Marty Stoked uh, at, on Twitter as well, and we talk a lot of comics and. Look forward to talking with everybody about this book once it drops for sure. And uh, shameless plug, I'll also add the Radiant Black podcast. And um, Josh, I'll, I'll send you the Discord link server. And you might be able to talk to Matt Groom because we talk to him on uh, every once in a while. He hops in there and answers some of our questions. Michael Basudel is uh, the most active, but we get to talk to Kyle and, and Matt and, um, and Erica and, and a whole like basically the whole creative team, which has been amazing. Yeah, the Discord is a lot of fun. Yep, I recommend it. And we also have a Discord, Talking Smack. We have the invitation in our uh, link tree link that's in the episode as well as in our episode description. We have a direct link there. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Josh underscore Scar. Scar is spelled S-K-A-A-R. You can follow the podcast at Talking Smack Pod. You can email us at tsmackpod at gmail.com if you're a creator or if you're a listener and you have stuff you want to talk about. If you think... We asked the the worst questions ever, and we you should uh, you should have asked this question. We'll do that, you know, if if it's a good Gosh, question. 
thank you so much to Leo Allen for our musical themes. Thank you to Beppo for our avatars, as well as Retro Ale Studios for our Ricky avatar. Please like, subscribe, rate, review, and please follow Matt Groom both on Twitter and at your local comic shop. Uh, follow Marty, add him to your podcatcher if you haven't already with panel to panel and join all the discords that you can because discord is is fun. It's not as complicated as it might seem, although there is some crazy stuff like Marty likes creating bots for <laughs> uh, for for discord, which that's insane to me. I don't know how people do that. I'm not that technologically inclined. But thanks so much for listening, everyone. Thank you to Matt Groom. Thank you to Thank Marty. You and to most importantly, course pick up infernal go red on january 25th this coming wednesday and take care read any massive verse book you can get your hands on loves T-Smack. I love T-Smack. Is it true? Mm-hmm. I do, I do. Ooh.